Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Dear Fandom, where everything you like is terrible, and that's okay. I'm Hillary. And I'm Megan. And today we are going to be talking about my favorite movie ever in the history of the world, The Royal Tenenbaums, which is written, well, written by um, Owen Wilson and, um, and Wes Anderson, and directed by Wes Anderson. It was a um, lot for me to find out that Owen Wilson wrote that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so much because considering the part that he wrote for himself, <laughs> it's. I mean, to be honest, it's like the equivalent of finding out like instead of just driving Lincolns, Matthew McConaughey builds them. You'd be <laughs> like, I. That's a lot. I'm I'm impressed. Wow, damn. It's so it's so much. Um. So um, <laughs> the Royal Tenenbaums is about a uh, dysfunctional family, and um. It, uh, it, the movie's called The Royal Tenenbaums because the father, the patriarch of the family, his name is Royal, Royal Tenenbaum. There are three children in this family. Um, Chaz, who was, um, Chaz, uh, Margot, who is adopted, and it is remarked very often that she's adopted and it's very important that she's adopted. And, um, Richie. Richie's the youngest. Now, when they were children, they were all geniuses. Chaz was like a math and science business genius. Um, Margot was a playwright, like a junior playwright who had a lot of promise. And Richie was a tennis prodigy. And Royal, when he was involved with the family, um, was very partial toward Richie. So Richie has a very skewed view of his, of his father. Richie's like, oh, dad's great. Whereas the other two are like, I don't know about that. So, um, which I'm certain anybody who's in a family of more than one child could tell you is true. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the film basically begins with, um, uh, Royal Tenenbaum, who is played by Gene Hackman in this film, which is, this is one of his last roles before he retired. And, um, he was, it was critically acclaimed. And, uh, he says, I'm divorcing your mother, Ethelene, played by Angelica Houston, which is really funny. What's really funny about, um, the casting of this film is that Angelica Houston is made up to be around Royal's age, but she is about 20 years younger than Gene Hackman. You are fucking lying. No, she's born in the 50s. And he- Gene Hackman was born in the 30s? He was born in the 30s. In today's episode of Megan Gets Fucking Unreasonably Angry. Yeah. So, um, um, so yeah, um, it's crazy. Uh, so basically they get divorced. He leaves. He's gone from the family and the whole, uh, the whole family falls apart. Basically Chaz loses his, Chaz grows up. He has two children with his wife and he loses his wife in a plane crash and becomes really overprotective of his two children. And um, uh, Margot is in a really unhappy marriage with a psychologist who is much older than her, who's played by Bill Murray. And um, she's a lot of, she leads, leads kind of a secret double life. She's like constantly having affairs and like carrying on. And Richie is traveling the world via a cruise ship. His tennis career is in ruins and he's in love with Margot who is his adoptive sister. I Not- mean, it's it's also established, literally, like, isn't that one of the first, like, four lines that, like, Luke Wilson... No, yeah, Luke. Yeah, Luke Wilson's character is like, read that back to me. And then they're just like, and here is your character. Like, <laughs> Yeah, basically, basically, um, the whole telegram, he, he sends a telegram, and he has the assistant read it back to him, and it's his entire psyche up until that point, 
and the postscript is like, also, I think I'm in love with Margot. And he's writing it to Eli Cash, who is, the, who is his childhood best friend, who has grown up possibly to be the most successful out of all of them who he is a um he is a kind of a western novel writer and um he and he's played by his actual brother he plays he is played by his actual brother and um that was really like a very heavy-handed way of west being like please don't ship these two And, um, I, (laughs) you know, you know, (laughs) fucking fandom, you guys, I know, I know. Listen, like I I wouldn't have dreamed of it in a million years, but like, if you look it, if you look it up, I'm not going to, I don't, it's terrible. (laughs) So (laughs) thanks. I hate all of it. I hate it so much. These guys are blood related as in like their DNA is shared with the same pair. Okay, we're Yo, done. do people care? No. But, like, anyway, um... The internet's terrible. Don't go on it, The guys. internet's so bad. So, um... The, everyone is kind of, like, living apart, and then Royal Tenenbaum gets kicked out of his apartment because he's not paying rent. So he's like, okay, what's a last-ditch effort I can do to win family favor? I'm gonna pretend I have cancer. Now, before this, um... Before this, um... Uh, Ethelene's accountant, played by Danny Glover, proposes marriage to her. He's like, I'm in love with you. And he's a really sensible guy. He's, like, very, very different from Royal. Like, actually really good for her. And she's, And they've like, known each other for, like, a really long time cool. by that point in the film, right? Yeah, they're, like, they're really long-term friends. And, like, she's like, you know what? Yeah, like, this is a really great idea for me. But then she realizes she's not actually divorced from Royal. She's only separated from him. So, like, he comes in her life and he's trying to win her back. And he says, I have cancer. And takes up residence in the house. And so everyone is called back to the house. And, um, you know, people are, people are kind of, people are kind of suspicious. And the family, family tensions are running high as, like, old conflicts come to light. You know, Royal tries to, like, win over the grandchildren it is revealed that he doesn't have cancer. Um, Margot's double-timing life is revealed via private investigator. And um, Richie tries to kill himself because he's so desperately upset about this. Mm-hmm. And the film culminates in, um, in the day of, uh, the day of uh, Henry Sherman and Ethelene's wedding. Um, Royal's like... Um, Royal's like, you know what, like, what the fuck ever, like, I, like, I grant you, like, divorce from me, like, like, I, I want you to be happy. Actually, just as, like, a sidebar, it is term, it is termed grant a divorce, you, you, um, you, if you give, if, if you give, it's, it's shitty to say, but, uh, if one party decides to agree to divorce, they don't say agree to a divorce, they say, I will grant you the divorce. Okay. As if it's some kind of power. So I was right. It is a grant. Yeah, you grant a divorce. Oh, wow. That's so, I was kind of just 
making up words. Um, 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 the reason I know this, guys, is because I worked in a divorce lawyer's office. But also, uh, obviously, ter- terminology has changed in since in the many years since this movie came out. I also worked in a divorce lawyer's office. Oof, God, five years ago. It's been a while. I'm gonna shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really useful knowledge because, like, the end. A lot of this, the context of this movie, has to do with marriage and the dissolution of marriage. And because, like, several marriages end in this film. One marriage happens. Like, at the end of the film, um, uh, Eli, who has been, like, steadily going downhill this entire film. Like, he has a really bad drug problem. He's high on, like, mescaline. And he crashes the car into the house. And Royal rescues the two kids because they're in the path of the car. It unfortunately kills their dog. Who has been a cent- who has been a central character in this film? Yeah, <laughs> such a good dog though. We love him so much, Buckley and we is hate so to see- great. We hate to see a dog die in a film. Yeah, but he rescues the kids, and um, this uh, this point is where I'm going to start um, because Megan's on the program that we use for recording these podcasts. Um, you can use a little screen. The guest uses a little screen name, and Megan's is fuck royal. And up until a certain point in the movie, it absolutely is fuck Royal. He's hilarious in the movie, but he's such a magnificent bastard. But in this, in this scene, in this way, it is the, like, from the time that he grants Ethelina divorce, from the time that he is humbled and humiliated, and from the basically from the time that he like Richie wakes up in the hospital and goes checks himself out and goes home, um, he like is starting on the path of a redemption arc, and it is only an earned redemption arc because everyone is doing it on their own terms, like people are healing on their own terms, like it is like Chaz is like. I need help. And Chaz is not like, you know, I instantly forgive you. Like, oh, you're my father. I love you so much. Like, but it's shown healing over time. And time is shown to pass. And, and, that's, it is and like, that's truth, though. That's the truth of, of a real situation. I mean, I only speak from experience, but lots of adult children cut their parents out because they realize when they become adults, oh, fuck, my mom or my dad was a piece of shit and I didn't realize it because I was a child and had no frame of reference. <gasps> okay. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing is if your parents if your parents want a relationship with you, or in Chaz's case with not just him but his grandchildren, um, you have to work for it. You can't just show up one day and steal grandkids away. That's not how it works. Yeah, and that's what he tried to do before. He tried to be like, oh, I'm going to do it the way that I did before. By wowing my kids with dog fights and like really being the pizzazz and flashing around my money. And instead he did what was, he started a series of selfless acts, like not thinking of himself for once, thinking of the welfare of the people that he ultimately does love and care about. Like he, he loves his children, even, even though he constantly reminds Marco that she's adopted. Like... I also think, though, that Royal, I mean, it's, I don't think, I think it actually is said in the film, Royal is, like, a textbook narcissist, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. But he, but the thing is, I think toward the end of the film, he understands that about himself. Like, and that's good. I mean, I, and this is the thing is, I'm not here to, uh, to vehemently deny Royal his humanity, but what I am here to do is say that, you know, I, I, I think what upsets me about his character arc is that... 
like, he does say a lot of fucked up shit to his children. Like, a lot. To the point of, and then he, you know, disappears from their lives. And uh, I'm a legacy child of divorce, so my parents are divorced and their parents are divorced. It's great. Um, well, my mom's parents are divorced. My dad's parents uh, are both dead. But it's, they were, they, they eh, yeah, whatever. Um, so the point is, is that I know divorce. Like, it's, it's very much ingrained in my, like, soul. And I know what absentee parents are like. I had a father who was uninvolved for many, many years. So, uh, like, Royal's character, to me, it, it just brings up a lot of... And I think that's the thing, is if you're, if you're somebody who has a strained relationship with your father, specifically, um, I know the, the best example is Chaz uh, with Royal, but... It's it's something that I think it's going to bring up a lot of emotions in adult children. I saw this film for the first time when I was teen at Hillary's house. And then to watch it again as an adult, you're like, oh, okay. I wasn't expecting to have some really weird epiphany moments, but okay. Like, it just hurts your soul. Yeah, no, it's, um, I, I definitely understand that. And it, that is not an experience that I've had. And I'm actually, I'm not necessarily approaching it from that angle. No, no, um, and that's and that's what's so beautiful about art is you can approach it from many different angles. Except yeah, Wes, who shoots in a very specific format. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, uh, I, I'm kind of just approaching it from the from whether or not like something feels earned. And, no, like, you're you're right. It, it it it's and that's the thing is I'm not saying like I think it's that Royal absolutely does earn that redemption. He works hard. I mean, at the end of the film, I remember Chaz is like hanging off the back of the garbage truck with him. Yeah, no, Chaz is the only person to be with him when he dies. And that is, like, the ultimate, because their relationship was the most strained. And I think it's because he's the oldest. Yeah. It's a hard relationship to, to be the oldest with a parent. Uh, I think a lot of expectations are thrust upon you. I think you have this intense need and want to succeed. And if you fail, you feel like you're not only failing yourself, but your parents. There's, there's heaps upon anxiety and disappointment. And okay, I'm realizing why I identify with Chaz so much now. I'm just gonna... No, it's okay. I, um, I find myself alternating. Of course, when, when we were both younger... We heavily identified with Margot because that's the character you identify with when you're like a 15 year old girl. But like, and Hot Topics having a sale on eyeliner. You're just gonna buy that shit. I, I really do need to do her for Halloween because she's so easy. Yeah, and I just have the straightener. hair right now. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 Margot Tenenbaum for me as a kid or like a teen was like the idea that you can be goth without being goth, you know, like you can just be emo and like wear your fur coats and your blue dresses and your pink things and have like a ton of heavy eyeliner and just like smoke a cigarette and sit in the corner and be like, yeah, whatever. Like (laughs) just tuned out. But she was, what was so interesting about Margot for me, just to seg on Margot for a second. Absolutely. She was such an integral character for me as a young person was that, that was one of the first kind of normalized portrayals of bisexuality that I ever saw on screen. And like, that was crazy for me because I was just like, whoa, okay, that's, that's just casual. That's just there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, I think it's so crazy because like, I, there's that scene where, you know, they're going through Margot's life and she's in Paris and she's in a relationship with a woman and they're both they're like the woman's naked. And I was like 14 and I'm like, Oh, Oh no. Like I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> I also thought I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> like we watched a naked lady on the screen. My parents are going to be angry. And it's like, no, it's not. It's, it's, you know, it, it's really interesting because I, 
you're right. It is this. It's 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 just done in a very hand wavy. Like, yep, and this is Margot's next relationship, and then here's her next relationship. Not even in a way to be like, she's with a woman! Exclamation it's, point. It's not the most shocking relationship on the reel. Obviously, the most shocking relationship on the reel is her being on a train with fucking Eli. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because this is this is all being told. To um, Raleigh St. Clair, which is Bill Murray's character, and um, Richie, Luke Wilson's character, uh, by the private investigator who just goes through her entire dating history. And Raleigh's biggest thing is she she smokes. smokes. She smokes. (laughs) Which means that he probably knew about some of them, if not most of them. I I think the fact that he was so... Because... She, they lived together, and she went through such great lengths to hide it. Like they made a point of her smoking throughout the film. If you, I mean, I, I, I again, I, I understand why we related to Mario so much because I also uh, smoke cigarettes, guys. I quit, um, but I did smoke in my early twenties, and uh, my entire family didn't know until I was twenty-seven. Oh yeah, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, it was crazy. My because I I had had a cigarette in front of my dad's house at one point because I was like it was like late and I wanted to drive home and I was like you know taking a coffee and a cigarette whatever because that's like a jolt of caffeine and my dad looks through the window at me a twenty seven year old woman and he's like you know the fucking. The, the thing where, like, parents are like... Like, I was a 16-year-old, and my mom caught me smoking for the first time, except I was not 16, I was 27. And I, I... It's like that hidden shame. Like, that kind of... It is. There's a lot of... It's weird. Like, like uh, Wes Anderson was able to call out the shame that would be associated with cigarette smoking, which I understand, you know? You don't want somebody to smoke cigarettes, but... You know, I think especially, like, a lot of people did or do, and they do hide it a lot, really, really well. People are getting real good at hiding cigarette smoke. It's kind of crazy, though I don't know how well they're hiding it, because cigarette smoke smells strong as hell. But also, um, but also, this kind of speaks to, and this is going to seg perfectly into my next point, um, kind of speaks to the fact that Margot and Richie to a point, but Margot is treated like this perpetual adolescent and she kind of lives this perpetual adolescent. She's 32 in the film. That didn't didn't hit me until right now. Yeah. It is crazy, isn't it? And Richie just has this more extended adolescence, but his was glorified and encouraged and hers kind of just was stunted and weird. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is because um, one of one of Margot's uh, like defining traits besides her smoking is that she's missing a tip of her pinky because no, she's she went away finger. and she came back. Oh, it's a whole finger. It's a whole finger. Oh, OK. So she went away and she came back and she was missing a finger. Um, and they never she, like she never talks about it. She never mentions what happened and that's it. And then they do a flashback. And she's smoking a cigarette and she went and found her birth family and she's got black hair and she's wearing fishnets and she's wearing like the whole black ensemble. And you're like, oh, she did have a moment to like explore in terms of like fashion or like in terms of aesthetically what she wanted to look like. And it's interesting because she did have that moment of like pure like goth slash emo dress. And I think it's nice that that um she she still has this essence of it in her, but it's it's all in the personality. It's in the small, small, small details that you wouldn't catch upon first glance at her. Well, um, there's an element of that with Chaz as well, because um, 
the uniforms they have in the beginning or throughout the film are for like utilitarian purposes but he's always dressed like that he had the tie rack in his room all the same tie he always wore a suit like when he was a child like that sort of thing has never changed changed all these aesthetic choices i mean richie fucking looks exactly the same as he did as a child up until like the part of the movie where he goes to commit suicide that was rough. I just just want to tell you guys, like, I think that's the one thing that, you know, Royal Tenenbaums can't give away its plot. No movie can. But in 2001, suicide was just such a taboo topic in terms of, like, I mean, fuck, it was a taboo topic up until, like, very recently. And uh, <laughs> and to have a character ha- um, attempt, attempt uh, to kill himself, obviously it was unsuccessful. The character does survive. It's a lot. I think it's something that, that you know, uh, I think for me personally, watching, and, and Richie's 30, right? He's two years younger than Margot. Mm-hmm. So watching a 30-year-old man struggle with that, I think it's like, it's this, it, it, it's, it's kind of this um, laying out bare this idea that mental health is not specifically reserved to one age group, to one gender to one kind of life you know to one to one uh class of people to one to one person it's and it's seeing like richie who is objectively more successful than me or most people i know uh and still be so torn with depression because of things that objectively you know you could be like hey just don't love your sister like just don't just think about like not being into her don't be into her (laughs) and it's it's hard like it's and that's and that's what depression is depression is there should be a simple answer to not be depressed and you can't get it you cannot find that answer because it you're just so shrouded in this cloud of sadness and and this this emotional state of nothing matters you know exactly and the scene the scene itself Um, has been oft parodied and oft, like, mimicked and often, you know, like, done over and over by people because it is such an, like, iconic scene. Like, it is probably the most known scene from the film. Yeah. And um, including the song, which is played in the background, which was created by an artist who then committed suicide two years later. And um, he was alive at the time. Which is crazy to think about because a world in which Elliot Smith is alive is not one that I can really comprehend. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, that that scene is just so compositionally brilliant, and so the use of silence over music, because like when they find him, it's just completely silent. Like the he's the, found by um, the Dudley Raleigh, kid. Yeah, Dudley. I was like the Raleigh St. Clair is uh, like study subject. The studies he's found by the study subject, and he like screams and runs out, but he does. You don't hear anything. It's just silent. Yeah. And, I and also the part after it where he's in the hospital and Chaz is like, "Did you write a suicide note?" And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Was it dark?" Of course it was dark. It was a suicide note. And it's this. <laughs> it's just with this brevity of siblings. Oh, yeah, no. And you know, like, it's the complication of, like, I love my sibling, but, like, I'm so fucking pissed off at them that, like, they would do something so childish and stupid. Like, yeah, it's like, it's very much like, it's like, 
at the end of the day, I love you, but also, like, I will kill you myself. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and what's, I mean, and I, I want to say that this is probably the case with a lot of families. It's like, when something hits the fan, like, when the, when shit hits the fan for one family member, up oh, may as well have, it hit, sh- have shit hit the fan for everybody. Spray it everywhere. Because in that same scene, Margo's at the hospital, and Raleigh's like, can I get a cigarette? And, um, and she's, she's like, I don't smoke. And then he, eventually she just gives him the cigarette. And Ethelene's like, I didn't know you smoked. I, like she, it's like, and then she says like, she started at like 12 or something. And she's like, well, you should quit. Like, that is just in the kindest, tiniest, what you should quit. I love it. Ethelene is like, really like, she isn't as large a part of, I just want to talk about, because Angelica Houston has played a role in several because Wes Anderson tends to use the same actors. Um, in a lot of his films, he uses the, he like reuses actors. And Angelica Houston has been wildly different in several of his films. And it, this is her kindest role, I think. This is her sweetest, most, like... She's like the heart of the movie, really. And, I mean, she's the reason that the kids all feel safe enough to move back home. Yeah, no. And, like, she's kind to... Like... Basically, there's a part at the beginning where he's like, Mom, I need $200. She's like, write yourself a check. And she just signs it while she's on the phone because she's, like, organizing... Their schedule, yeah. Yeah, their schedule. And she was really doing it. Like, three kids, raising three kids. And this was before... They got divorced, right? This was before... Or, like, right around the time... It was around the time they got divorced. Separated. And, Mm -hmm. um... And uh, she's like raising three kids, and she's and she's got like a really really good job. She's an uh, archaeologist, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like insane. Like love that for her, but it's just I feel like she never imposes any kind of life on her children. No. You know, Royal was the one who imposed these lives on his children, which is why as adults they floundered because having insanely high success as a child. Um, that is forced upon you by your parent, when you become an adult, you're just like, well, I've reached my apex at 10. And what's so, <laughs> what's so interesting about that is they love her so much that well, Chaz, of course, is like a buzzing bee with everything. The second that, that Henry enters the scene, of course, he's immediately suspicious. But like, there's that bonding scene at the end where they're all like shaving their faces and he's like, Henry lost his wife and he's like, I lost my wife too. And Henry's like, I know. And it's like the sweetest, most like, it's like breaking down those barriers. And Chaz isn't coming from a place of like animosity. He just wants what's best for his mom, which was not his day. He's like, any man who enters my mom's life is going to be like my dad. And I think that's fair. I think that's a real human emotion. I think when you have uh, separated or divorced parents and that parent starts dating again, you do, uh, especially with, with, an, with a relationship like Chaz had with Royal, you become distrustful of men in general. And it's, it's weird, especially men that your mother dates. Um, and again, I'd like Wes Anderson to stop filming my life and putting it on <laughs> And putting it down, because uh, it's fucking rude. You should at least ask for permission before you do it. Um, exactly. And it's just, it's, it's, but it's, Chaz is, I, you don't understand. When I was 14, I'm like, fuck Chaz. Now I'm like, oh, but he's so misunderstood. No, it's like when you, you have to appreciate Chaz as an adult, because I thought he was so annoying when I was younger. I was all about Margot. I was like, Richie was cool. Like, I was like, oh, Chaz is so annoying. He's being so annoying to the kids. And now I'm like, yeah, like, I understand. Exactly. And he's annoying to the kid. Like, I I antagonized Chaz over Royal, you Mm -hmm. know? 
Yeah. For me as a kid, the redemption wasn't for Royal, it was for Chaz at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, same. I was like, oh, Chaz is finally not being an asshole anymore. But I'm like, now I'm watching the movie as an adult, and I'm like, he's hurting. He just lost his wife. Wes Anderson wrote two different movies. <laughs> he wrote one for the adolescent experience and one for the adult experience. And it's crazy because I think that's like, like that's the biggest change as an adult that I had. Like, Margot and Richie and Ethelene and, and all the other like side characters basically stayed the same in terms of the, you know, of how I identified them in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Chaz and Royal switched, switched places. I felt that Chaz was wronged by his father. And I felt that Royal was continually perpetrating this like really intense, like, like, I, I mean, maybe not even purposefully, but like, like he was just this heavy presence in, in Chaz's mind. And, and because of that, Chaz became this anxiety-ridden adult who ended up losing his wife, and it just compounded. And you know, it's it's just I don't know. It's 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 so stylized the movie that it's hard to see the human emotions in it when you're just looking at the the aesthetic, like like the fact that Chaz and his sons wear the same tracksuits. But you you listen to the words and you see the emotions in like Ben Stiller's face, who is amazing in this movie, He's and you're just so like so good. You're just like, this is the same dude who was like, water is the essence of wetness. And you're just like, this is the same motherfucker. Like, <laughs> Same guy. It's, it's crazy. And like, I, um, uh, I want to eventually, like, I want to eventually shift to, I want it to co- come in like a natural way. I don't want to just like shift, but like, I eventually would like to touch on Marco and Richie. So I want to talk about Chaz and Richie's relationship. Sounds for good. A second. And um, because we're talking about Chaz, and this is much more Chaz-centric episode than I intended, but I love it because no, no, I definitely definitely co-opted this, guys. I'm sorry, I'm an I'm the oldest in my family, so I'm here to defend Chaz until I die. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm the youngest in my family, so um, you're like, and here's the case for Richie. <laughs> here's not the case for Richie, but like Richie, um, Richie like has this warped perception of his father. They're at odds with each other because Richie genuinely does not understand the animosity between Chaz and Royal. He does not get it. He's like, oh, yeah, no, dad was great. What are you talking about? And Chaz is like, dude, are you kidding? Like, he took you out and nobody else. Do you did you ever notice that? And Richie's like, oh, uh, you know, because <laughs> Richie has been so preoccupied with the fact. I mean, there is a detail in the film that um, for a week, um, uh, for a week, uh, Richie and Margot ran away together to a museum and they lived in a museum and it was, that's, that is out of a children's book, by the way. Um, l- literally it's from the, the mixed up files, Mrs. Basley Frankweiler. That's two children ran away and lived in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. That's cool. That's like, yeah, that's like a trope from an actual book, but, that's um, awesome. yeah, so that's probably what that's based on. But um, there was no, inc- obviously, as a children's book, there was no incestuous element in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just going to err on the side of caution and assume Richie that because it's been... a children's book, there won't be incest. <laughs> Listen, we go there here. Um, so, <laughs> so Richie has been so fixated on that that he is not paying attention to anyone else around him. He's not paying attention to the plight of Eli. He doesn't, Eli, who wants who utters, like, the most famous line in the movie, which is, I always wanted to be a Tenenbaum, which is, like, he has tried so hard to get into this family. Like, he tried through Richie. It didn't work. So he was like, okay, I'll try through Margot, I guess. And 
it's it's Rich- sad. I think it's sad because Richie doesn't see his like we were talking about before. He doesn't see what what gifts he's been given in life in terms of like you know a friend like Eli <clears throat> relationship with his father that he has, um, and and he's still at this like you know like it, and that's why I think going back to the 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 correspondence between uh, Chaz and Richie after uh, Richie attempts to kill himself, uh, it's because you know. Richie doesn't see the plight that his brother is going through, that his best friend is going through. He just has his own, he's, he's, he's got his own struggles in the, the forefront. And if you look to the side and the other side, you're like, wow, they're also, they've, his best friend and his brother also have fucked up lives. Yeah, it's like, he, and that's the thing about a suicidally depressed person, you know, like, as much as they are, like, as... Of course, I have been very, very depressed in my life. I'm going to preface this with, like, I have been depressed. And when you're in a depressed state, you're not thinking about other people. You're not. You're simply no. not. Yep. But, and that's where Richie is, I think. He is so depressed that he's not thinking about anybody else but his own troubles. And, like, it's just a fact of life. It's not great. But it's also not, like, there is no one really at fault here. No, no. But I would also say that, so just quickly going to Eli. Yes, yes. Eli yes. is struggling with drug addiction. Like, uh-huh. I mean, crippling drug yes, addiction. Yeah, so bad. Like, and bad stuff, too. Like... Yeah, not just, like... It's not like he's, like... It's um, not like a little weed. Yeah, it's not... Yeah. It's it's something, like, heavy, heavy, heavy drugs. And um, he's doing drugs with everyone, except mm-hmm. Richie, who is his best friend. And he doesn't have any... He doesn't really have any friends outside of Richie. And I think as, you know, and he's got this relationship with Margot, but Margot's really just using him as, like, a fucking, um, like, a conduit for sexual energy. You know, she's just, like, going, having sex, goodbye. I really, I really do think that um, Eli is, like, a Richie substitute. Like, I think of it, like, as, like, a substitute for that. I think that with, um... Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I think for for Margot, she's much it's much easier for her to deny her own emotions, her own feelings. Yeah. Because it's easier. It's just easier to ignore. It's easier to ignore any issues that you have, especially when you're being told your entire life, "Yeah, you're my adopted daughter. This is my adopted daughter. I have an adopted daughter." And she's just like, "Well, I'm just going to ignore all my feelings since I was ignored as a part of this family other than to be adopted." Yeah, basically like it kind of gave her a new lease on... It kind of gave her a skewed perspective on her relations with other people. Like, she was married to a dude for, like, nine days. Like, she sees... She she doesn't see people as... She doesn't see herself as connected to anyone. Raleigh is a means to an end. Yeah. And her... And it's... Yeah, sorry. No, no, it's... it's I think it's... it's and But then, then you look at her relationship with Richie... And Eli, because that's that's it. It's this triangle of Margot, Eli, Richie, and they're all connected to each other. Mm-hmm. It's just in different ways. Margot is connected to Richie on a more emotional level, and romantic level than sexual, and connected to Eli on a sexual basis, really only. And Eli wants an emotional re- relationship, and Eli wants an emotional relationship with Richie as well. And they only have an emotional relationship with each other as siblings. Mm-hmm. And Eli is desperately in need of, of a of a of somebody who is looking out for his wants and needs emotionally and mentally. And his best friend and the woman he's in a relationship with just aren't doing that for him. Yeah, exactly. He like he wants a brother. Like 
he was an only child from this kind of working class family and he so he like it was aspiration he wanted all of that that you just said that was so beautifully put that was really really good and here here comes here comes my uh my opinion uh i'm sorry to god I am a Margot Richie apologist. I am. I uh, I think they... Um, I like their relationship. I do. Of course, it would not work, but I like... I think it's... I feel the same way about Margot and Richie that I do about um, Ray and Kylo Ren. I think the two actors have good chemistry. And I think yes. they're interesting on screen together, and I like their dynamic. Exactly. I don't necessarily support a relationship between the two characters, just because I think ultimately it would not work. I think, but I do think you're right. I I, I get, I I think apologist is the correct way to say it. You're not saying I'm a Margot Richie shipper. Yeah. I'm a Margot Richie apologist, which is fair. I think that Margot and Richie's relationship is, I mean, Wes Anderson did did great by creating Royal as having se- said several times in the film, this is my adopted daughter, this is my adopted daughter, this is my adopted daughter, and making adoption a real, like, uh, like cornerstone of Margot's character because it, it reinforces to the viewer, while these may be siblings, they're not blood-related, so the incest won't result in any child that has any sort of defects or if they did get pregnant. Yeah. And, and they, you'd be like, yeah. okay. And they discuss that in the film. There's like actually a line sequence in the film where, um, where uh, Royals like that's your sister, and he's like not blood related. And he's like no, still frowned upon though. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's great because we we related this when we were talking about it on the phone. Um, we related it to the Umbrella Academy. Like Gerard was like, yeah, it's basically Allison and Luther. It is. It, okay, all right. I'm, I'm so happy that I get to drag the Umbrella Academy into this. Um, <laughs> I'm so Hillary's glad. like, Hillary pulls out 16 pages of written notes. All right. <laughs> okay, so the Royal... Okay, so the Umbrella Academy, I feel like, has Royal Tenenbaum's elements, which is why oh, yeah. I like it so much. Oh, 100%. Um, like, the, like, big creepy mansion, like, there's... Shitty dad. Shitty garbage can father. Just a horrible fucking dad. Great servant who is a great character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Uh. Uh. And then uh, siblings who all are exceedingly successful as children, and fuck up adults. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're oh yeah, oh yeah. That's a millennial experience, guys. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, no, but there, but I am also. I am also an Allison Luther apologist. Not in the comics, though. I don't think I. I don't think they vibe in the comics at all. No, no, but man. I read the, the show, comics. <sighs> in the show, they super vibe. I think. I think the actors have great chemistry. And it's like, it's similar like to Margot and Richie, though. It's, yeah. It's this. It's this idea of finding solace in each other in kind of a crazy space of the family that they belong to. Yeah, and there's a similar conversation in Umbrella Academy. Where, <laughs> where they where they run away to the greenhouse and the roof, and you're just like, wow, Gerard definitely didn't write this after watching the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> where, yeah, no, and they're all in the hair salon, and like, and Vanya's like, aren't you brother and sister? And she's like, well, technically, and Klaus is like, technically. <laughs> oh man, I think it's great that personally, um, uh. It's the idea of of adopted siblings uh, who are raised together because Margot and and Richie and Luther and Allison 
share the exact same experience in the sense that they've experienced their entire childhoods together. They are no different from blood-related siblings other than the blood relation. Seriously. They, they, are, they are siblings in every essence of the word. Except, I, I'm sorry, I just have to say, it's hysterical that you went seriously and fucking Siri was like, I agree. Give me a moment. I'm going to search up all the fucked up shit about this. Like, I, I'm going to keep this in the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, it's so good. Um, no, uh, what were you saying? <laughs> so it's just, it's just, that it's, 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 they are so related. They are related in a way that like, Sometimes blood siblings are not related. Like you, just to like on a completely like absolute off tangent. There's a movie called Old Boy, um, Spike Lee directed oh. version. I'm not I'm not giving away too much, but uh, but that has the opposite issue, guys. Oh, that's I won't. I'm oh. gonna I'm gonna just just don't watch it. Just don't watch it. Don't watch it unless you want to vomit violently at the end of the film. Oh, that was the absolute worst oh god it's a lot it's I, a lot i it's, hate i'd it. rather it's a hate it's a hate we hate it strongly i was because like, <laughs> we'll apologize for margo and richie but we will forcefully condemn every character in old boy <laughs> okay yeah no i i remember okay believe it or not these movies are semi-related um, <laughs> um is your movie about incest we've got a film series for you <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, watching at, at the end of this film, I didn't watch because they didn't, you know, do anything. But at the end of Old Boy, I was like, "This is a great, not a great film. This is this is awful." Thank you. Good night. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because Wes Anderson deals with the emotional relationship as opposed to the physical. Like they have one kiss, and then Margot looks at Richie and goes, "Well, I think we're just gonna have to be secretly in love with each other and leave it at that." Which is such a great line. But it's like, my favorite line. But um, let's uh, let's kind of. I want to talk about, um, I brought this up kind of in the beginning, but I want to sort of talk about, um, Royal's like cancer arc and sort of like, like his fall from grace and his redemption and his sort of like, and how that just the penultimate kind of deal where everything comes ahead because we've been talking a lot about Eli and Eli is the catalyst for all of that. What do you think about that? Like, the fact that he literally crashes and, like, what? crashes into the conflict. It's like he crashes the wedding, literally. He, he does literally and, crash the wedding. And Owen Wilson would later go on to star in Wedding Crashers. Uh, <laughs> you know, so he upset. would, and, like, I'm so upset by that. And, like... I just wanted to let you know that I, uh, that was the first thought in my head. There was no research done prior to this episode. I'm just like this, guys. Imagine being my friend. <laughs> it's so, so good. It's rough. No, being your, being your friend is really such an exemplary experience. So... Thank you. No, but what do I think about that? Okay, so... It's hard, because Eli's... Eli's crashing into the wedding and to the conflict literally is um is the pot boiling over. He was not this wasn't a catalyst where something set him off. It was it was forceful and willful his best friend and his girlfriend ignoring him throughout the entirety of the film to the point where he just gets so goddamn high that he paints his face um, wrong, like just fucking bad. Like, wow, what a terrible look. I hate it. I hate that. I hate that he's like, 
I just don't like. I just it's the kind where you're like, ah, now the villain is Eli, like type like type of you know move. Mm-hmm. Like it was a strong, and it's it's not even. I think for me, it's a lot of how life works you know you ignore a problem and eventually it becomes a bigger problem and you ignore the bigger problem and eventually explodes in your face and it royal i mean this isn't royal's mess that he made actually it kind of is tangentially but not really um royal's not eli's father uh and royal fostered i think a relationship between uh richie and margo that he didn't intend which in turn affected eli but at the end of the day it's it's Richie and Margot's fault for why Eli has this crash and fall from grace that he does. Mm-hmm. And Royal, yes, true. He does look at this instance and he kind of takes over. He kind of takes charge. He sees this this terrible occurrence. I mean, a dog dies. I can't stress dog, you enough. A dog dies, which is awful. And we but, hate it. We hate it. But the kids don't die, which is the... Because that would have ended Chaz. It would have absolutely, and he's and he, and for his children to be saved by his father, who he has such a contentious relationship with, is a move that Chaz is willing to extend an olive branch, and it's but the catalyst is Eli, and it's it's not, it's hard, it's hard to say like, if had Eli been, you know, had had Richie reached out to Eli and talked to Eli and gotten Eli help. Would would uh, Royal's relationship with Chaz be so significantly different? Would he have granted a divorce to Ethelene? You know, like Eli's Eli's tumble and fall, like this catastrophic occurrence, is what allows Royal to be redeemed. Yeah, I think that the yeah, he his fall from grace from Henry exposing him like this rival man, this better man, which I like kind of emphasized in the beginning. You know, like. Like, there are archetypes of older men, and there are archetypes of men in this film. There's, like, the kind of, like, like nebbishy coward man that Raleigh St. Clair is. Like, the spineless man. And then there's... It's so... Can I just really quickly, side yeah. note, isn't Raleigh St. Clair, like, very reminiscent of his character in Ghostbusters, but, like, nega uh, Peter Venkman? Oh, I absolutely think that, you know... That I'm was really, there. <laughs> I'm really sad that I haven't called him Nega Peter Venkman I, for I most of this. I swear to God. That's, <laughs> I'm so happy you got it in there, though. <laughs> I am. I am. Because Raleigh St. Clair, because Peter Venkman was in the psychology department. Oh, fuck, Wes. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. I see you. I'm aware. I'm aware of you. All right. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So um, there are, I want to end this episode to sort of like talk about the archetypes of men, because this is a film that is mostly about men. There aren't very many women characters, but that's very typical of Wes Anderson films. It's like the one. Did you mean Hollywood in general? Excuse Hollywood me. Hollywood in general. <laughs> that's you know. not Sucker Punch, where every female character is dressed in a skirt that's just below the labia. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> We will eventually talk about that film, but... Um, oh, <laughs> we will, guys. It's going to be a 15-part series. Get ready. <laughs> and another thing. No, um, whereas we have these kind of dysfunctional men, um, these dysfunctional men created by this, like, narcissist kind of monster who redeems himself. And then, like, at the top, I feel like, of everything, even though he's kind of woven throughout is Henry. Henry as this good, solid, dependable person who is really the start 
of the start of Royal's redemption because he's like, listen, dude, like I, this is my path to happiness. You're standing in my way. I know you're lying. Like my wife died of cancer. Like, how dare you? (laughs) And this is the thing I think at the end of the day, this is why like Royal, does he deserve his redemption? Yeah. He works hard to redeem his relationship with his son and he works hard to, to be an active good part of his grandchildren's life. Yes. But does that necessarily forgive all of the shit that he said to Chaz, to Margot, and specifically, even very recently, the stupidly, it's not even like microaggressive. I feel like it was just blatantly racist, the shit he was saying to Henry. Oh, and without it's, a doubt. It's, it's, it's so upsetting because Henry is, one, fully employed, gainfully employed. Great, doing good. Like, and not even like a shitty, like, like, like the thing is, Royal doesn't do shit. Royal was like thousands and thousands of dollars in debt to a hotel. Henry's like an accountant and has written books on accounting. (laughs) And I'm in the accounting field and I just want to say I will die for Henry. (laughs) Um. No, but like Henry is everything that Royal is not. And that's what, and that's what I think is for me, a lot of the, the issue that I have with Royal is that yes, he redeems himself and that's important. It is important to, to acknowledge your wrongdoings and to work towards being a better person, but that doesn't excuse if you, if let's say you fucked up your kid's life, but as your children, as an adult, you were like, I'm going to work towards becoming a better person and becoming a good person. Okay. But if you said racist shit to your, uh, like ex-wife's future husband two weeks ago, don't expect me to fucking forgive that immediately. Like, Here's the, here's the thing about that. I think that, um, uh, I think about that a lot. I think about, I think it's one instance in the film where he says something like that's, you know, playfully racist, which is bad. Um, you know, yeah. I'm not saying yeah, it's not you No, know, you're right. No, you're right. It is. It is. It is. It's the, um, it's the one where they're in the kitchen, right? He's like, sup Coltrane. And, but it's played as a what the fuck moment which like where royal is in the wrong and it is it is but ethelene also comes in and she's like she blames the both of them equally which yeah which i don't understand why like that was that's like the one i'm happy we're calling this out before we uh, we close this off because like that's the one aspect of things that i didn't like that i was yeah. and like why is i mean henry is instrumental and important and like is probably morally the best character in this <laughs> morally and generally everything and everything I mean, the best character in this but he is blamed for something that is perpetrated against him which is not okay exactly and the thing is even with his relationship with like the children specifically Chaz I think he's willing to give Chaz the benefit of the doubt and be like, okay, you've had a rough relationship with men in the past. I'm not here to try and, you know, it's like Ethelene's the one who's trying to push these, these, you know, you don't have to call him Mr. You know, like it's, 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 it's Ethelene's case to fight with Chaz. Whereas Henry's like, I'm not going to get involved. I'm going to be okay. But with this scene with Royal, it's, I think that's the only thing that sticks with me is it's just like, I would, if, if Royal had like a dedicated scene with Henry to go, listen, I said some fucked up things a few weeks ago or a month ago or however long before this scene takes place. And, you know, to acknowledge, like I said what I said due to, you know, whatever the reason Royal could give, but a a sincere, intense apology to Henry, I think would have helped me like wrap up all of the 
ambiguous anger that I have towards Royal. Yeah, I think um, probably, I agree with you there. I think that would be very, very satisfying to watch. But I also think something probably a little more in character for him would be something like, something kind of playing it off, being like, like, hey, I'm kind of a bastard. I'm sorry about that. You're way better for her than, like, I would ever be. Something yeah, that's like exactly... That. That's a royal apology right there. Yeah. Like, I'm, like, I'm a bastard. You knew that. Sorry. Like. Yeah. I, I think... And, and, yeah, at the end of the day, it's... The Royal Tenenbaums, well, it is about Royal Tenenbaum. It is. Like, Royal Tenenbaum is your is your patriarch. He's your main character. He's the reason that everyone suffers as they do. Uh, but I, I, I always, as I, we've recorded several episodes where I've been like, why do we forgive this person? Like- it's, it's so weird. But like, I, in this instance, he... He is, as I said, he's a bastard. He is. And there you don't forgive him right away, but you cannot deny that he earns what he gets. He does. I personally would have enjoyed the redemption arc of him and Nega Peter Pete I'm sorry. I swear. <laughs> him and Nega Peter Venkman, uh, just like like having like therapy sessions, you know, a royal becoming the new Dudley. This is great. I'm gonna write a, a spinoff. <laughs> um, good luck because because uh, he's retired from acting and writing novels now. That's yeah. That was the craziest thing. Um, I do believe though, Gene Hackman, just to like do my thing because I love talking about the acting. But uh, Gene Hackman is wonderful in this film. Oh, he's, he's great. Fantastic. He's 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 he disappears. Like it's very much Gene Hackman. Like you can tell. Like this is, but it's it's some it's Gene Hackman as like, you know this this father figure for me particularly. Like that I watch and I, I have this visceral reaction towards. But it speaks to good writing and good acting when you have a character that's written as a kind of obscenely rich Upper West Side father that I can look at and look at my own relation to my father and see this similarity you because the background is important but it's the way your lines are said it's the way things come across it's the way they're written and Wes Anderson and Gene Hackman I know that they haven't done any other films besides the Royal Tenenbaums correct um no they have not it's just but this is why I think the Royal Tenenbaums is so well done not to say that Bill Murray when he plays the lead in certain films is great uh, of Wes Anderson's, I mean. Um, oh, no, but wait. Gene Hackman is, is I think this is what makes the Royal Tenenbaums, I think, the pinnacle of Wes Anderson's existence. Though, I will admit, the Grand Budapest Hotel is also very, very good. Okay. Very, very we, good. we will do Grand Budapest because I, um, I agree with your theory of kind of one-off actors. Like, him doing a great job with, like, he has his, like, steadies who are yes. always very good, of course. But he has his, like, one-off actors, his, like, George Clooney's, his, like, um, Ray Fiennes, like, his, you know, when he, like... Do you know I was about to say Edward Norton, and then I'm like, oh, no, 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 Edward Norton joined the cast. Um. Yeah. Edward Norton's everybody. No, Edward, Edward Norton's great in that movie. But, um, uh, yeah, um, so this is overall, this, the reasons that we've discussed today is why this movie is my favorite movie. And um, I love it. And I love the fact that it's something that Megan and I share. And, like, I showed it to her because it was important to me. And I wanted to share something that was important to me with her. And the fact I, that we... I love I that you did that for me. Yeah. Believe me, uh, watching that movie in your living room, on your box TV, with uh, every light in the room on, and just to see 
you know, the scene with Richie and you and your dad were both like, this is going to be a rough scene. And I believe I ran upstairs. You did. I was like, okay, it's going to be a rough scene. I'm going to leave the house. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, I remember warning you. I also warned you before Kill Bill. You did. And I ran out of the house that time too. (laughs) Oh man, I love the, I love your household. It's great. All right. Well, thank you so much for recording this with me. This was really fun. This is this is just this is just wholesome for me. I mean, yes, was it was it very heavy and and lots of deep deep topics? Yes, but also super wholesome, like an enriched loaf. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like a Martin's potato loaf, <laughs> like a Martin's potato loaf. It's great. I love it. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, stay safe. Please wear a mask. Yep. Uh, don't go out unless you need to. Yeah. Uh, winter's just getting started. Oh so. yeah. Stay home, listen to some podcasts, clean your room if you want, maybe write in a journal, watch the Royal Tenenbaums while listening to the Royal Tenenbaums. It's going to be great. It's, it's super good. All right. Bye. Bye.